Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the First Word Podcast. My name is Alex, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike. And uh, our guest today for this discussion is one of my friends, Annette DiGiovanni, and she is a big-time horror fan who I've known for a long time. I've seen her at conventions. Um, she lives in L.A., and... Uh, She's a true, real horror fan, which is why I wanted to bring her on for the discussion. She also runs Horror Cal, which is a calendar of horror films. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us, Annette. Thanks for having me on. To just get right into it, the, the main general topic that Mike really pushed me into discussing today was Hereditary, which has kind of become the talk of the, the summer in terms of the horror movie season. And because Mike saw it and flipped for it and was like, we have to record so uh, and you do whatever you, I say. Yes, I do. Mike. <laughs> this is this is usually our our podcast ideas. It's like, hmm, what are we going to talk about? And Mike's like, we have to talk about like annihilation, our annihilation episode. So anyway, uh, so to to get into it, actually, I, I wanted to ask you, Annette, since you are the the biggest horror fan among us, what is your take on the horror genre at the moment? Is it super strong? Is it healthy? Is it kind of just like, hey, we have the same kind of you know good selection every year, or is it better than it has usually been? Um, I actually think horror films are getting stronger. Now, I have a friend who said that horror films used to be much better um, back in the 70s and 80s, which me personally, my favorite decade, decade of horror movies is the 70s. Um, but I feel like if anybody feels like there are worse movies now, not even just in the horror genre, it's just because... Um, it's easier to make movies. You can make a movie on your own cell phone um, and it's easier to access movies. So I feel like we're wading through much, uh, much more garbage to get to the good films, but there's never been a year where we didn't have good films, let alone good horror films. Um, now the concept of, you know, elevated horror or horror um, becoming better as a genre, I think is, um, is, is BS. Um, because it's not that horror movies are getting better. It's just that um, I think we're expanding what we consider to be a horror movie. For sure. I mean, even um, even like Get Out is one of the big debates about like, is it horror or is it not? Because it's, it's such a like borderline kind of horror. Um, but as an example, something that's hugely successful and could be counted as horror, that's an example of exactly what you're saying, which is like, here's a great film that, we can easily count as a horror film and from here allow that to influence and inspire more horror films and more of um, like pushing the edge of what the genre means, which is great because horror isn't something I think that, at least as for, for me as a viewer, it shouldn't be something that's like, oh, well, it's blood and gore and that's it. And if I'm not interested in that, I shouldn't care about that. Like I've had this beautiful experience over so many years of cinema discovering how great horror can be and how some of my favorite films of all time and even this year are horror films which is awesome i love it i would also add that i think maybe the films themselves aren't better or worse than they've always been great but i think horror has become a little bit more mainstream in our accessibility to it i mean we've i, I think when i look at movie twitter for example i i think the strongest community is the horror community Maybe the you know the fanboys and the Star Wars and those things they take a lot of the headlines and everyone's chatting about it. But I feel like when I find out about movies in the horror genre, I'm, I'm actually finding out through word of mouth through Twitter, and I think that that's a, probably from my perspective how a lot of horror films really take off in the first place through word of mouth. And 
you know, I, I look back at the movies I grew up with in the horror genre that I remember, and those are the ones I heard about from people. But when you look way back and you think about like the 60s, 70s movies that are in this genre, they're classics. But I, I mean, if you went back there, how many movies in that genre were being made versus now how many are being made because of, like you said, the accessibility of the, of the medium. And horror is, if any genre, the most um, adept to being miniaturized as a production. Right, I agree. It's a com- it's a, it's probably a whole podcast in, in and of itself, but like how did we get where we are today with the horror genre and I think a big part of it is because when you really look at the best ones, it, they are the ones that have really kind of minimized what they're trying to accomplish and allow um, our expectations to kind of work for us. And I think about um uh, what's that one? It comes at night or um a quiet place or even hereditary and i feel like mo- those movies are built upon the understanding that we already know what comes in a horror movie what comes next and it's building upon our expectations more than necessarily what's supposed to happen to these characters and i don't think that's a bad thing that's kind of my take on it i don't know if you guys agree right i mean i think uh, movies like hereditary and a quiet place what i really love about them are um, that they do remind me of of my favorite decade of horror, which was the 70s. It was a lot of slow burn. It wasn't, um, you know, it didn't capitalize on jump scares. Um, if you did jump at a scare or a sound, I felt like it was earned. Um, and it wasn't just blood and guts. It was a lot of something seems a little off. Okay, that seems a little off too. Okay, this is a little off. And then finally, you hit that climax. And... Um, I think for a lot of people, they think that horror movie movies are just blood and guts, ghosts, um, possessions, um, serial killers. Um, but movies like A Quiet Place and Hereditary, even though you know it essentially is a possession film, um, I think kind of encapsulates a lot more than just ghosts. Um, my favorite horror movie of all time actually is, um, the Wicker Man, the original one, not, uh, not the one with Nicolas Cage. I just have to clarify that. Um, but there's nothing necessarily supernatural about the Wicker Man. And, um, I don't think there'd be anybody who saw it that would say this isn't a horror movie, but it's not a lot of blood and guts, excuse me. Um, and there isn't a supernatural element, um, but it's a lot of really creepy things that are out of place that when you put them all together and then get to the climax is all super terrifying, even if you didn't feel terrified the entire time you're watching it. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, this, uh, I was gonna say another one of my favorite horrors too is Let the Right One In in terms of like, you don't have to be so like horrified and scared the whole time. But I mean, this is also, this makes me want to get into Hereditary because I'm really upset by the by the people who are like, Hereditary wasn't scary because it doesn't have the jump scares. It's, it's like, come on. Like, that's just... You said, by the way, you said that to me like 10 minutes before I got into the movie and it messed my whole like mindset up. I, I loved the movie completely and I don't think I missed out on any of the experience of the movie. But I spent like half, no, most of the movie being like, what the fuck are these people talking about? I'm terrified right now. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm not. Maybe I'm not jumping out of my seat because um, a sound effect and a jump cut, like you know, got me. I'm scared in like my core. 
I'm, I have a, a chill going through my body when things happened during that movie. So, yeah, I just a, a successful horror film for me is the one that gives me that that feeling that you get when you're rolling when you're going on the downslope of a roller coaster and I get this like sharp chill through my body. And Hereditary happens and we're going to go into spoilers obviously, so if you're listening, stop if you haven't seen it, but um, like when she's up in the corner, obviously that's when the movie requires you to accept what it's going to be. And I think there are probably some people who uncomfortably laughed during that moment, um, who weren't prepared for this movie to take on that sort of element of um, possession and the sort of like classic imagery that we maybe have gotten accustomed to. When I saw it, though, it just fucking freaked me out. And then when she like glided out of the room silently, I'm just my whole body shook. And those, to me, if you can do that in a movie like this without cheating and using editorial effects that's successful horror and hereditary did that multiple times right i was when you had mentioned um you know the jump scares i was thinking of that specific scene where she's up in the corner um i feel like you see her in the corner if you're paying attention it for me as as a horror movie fan i am constantly scanning every inch of a screen because I hate jump scares. Um, so I'm constantly looking for something to jump out, something that's a little further back in the background or you know, it's a different shade of black indicating that something might be there in the shadows. So I saw her when she was first in the corner before she actually moved. And that's an, a great example of what I consider an earned jump scare. It's not that they just placed her there to jump out and scare you. Um, she's hovering there for quite a bit for a purpose. Like um, she's not just jumping out of nowhere. Um, and and anybody who says that Hereditary isn't a horror movie, I don't understand what their thing is against horror movies because Hereditary is scary as fuck. It's terrifying. It has all the elements of a horror movie. It has supernatural elements. There is some blood and guts. Um, and, you know, there are, as I mentioned, earned jump scares in it. Um, I really, really don't understand why people don't want this to be considered a horror movie or why they don't want to admit they love a horror movie. Also, yeah, though, it is it's really like, what, what could it even be other than that? I mean, it's... It, it has everything that comes in every horror movie. It almost, like, if you really... When I was describing this movie to my wife, who I knew would never watch this movie, so I could just explain it out, outright, um, I started feeling like I was almost describing a parody movie of every horror film ever. Like, when you really break it down, it, it like, references a dozen other movies, but it never felt derivative. It never felt... Like, it was just copy-pasting other things from other movies. It was almost just like it was clearly made by somebody who grew up loving this genre and wanted to have their hand at that kind of element and did it naturally, found a way to do it in every point in the movie. Right, and I also do think that, you know, I was trying to think of other movies um, similar to Hereditary that they consider like an elevated horror movie or something. And um, I was thinking of The Babadook, which a lot of people consider you know a thriller or an elevated horror movie but when you think about it there are elements in the Babadook that you can actually take out and it would just be a psychological horror movie or a, I'm sorry psychological thriller about loss 
um, the loss of someone you love and spiraling out of control and feeling like you're losing yourself. But I don't think you could do that with hereditary. I don't think you could take out the quote unquote horror elements and have this still be the same movie. Um, and that's what I feel like makes this a horror movie. Every element that you think could be taken out and it would just be like a, a drama or a thriller, like you take those out, you have a completely different movie. This is a horror movie. You can't take anything out of it. <laughs> this, uh, this whole thing makes me think it's, it's kind of a connection to the idea, a little bit of what you were saying, Annette, where people are almost now trained into thinking that a horror movie is a one kind of thing, like a, like a, a has to have this, this, and this, and if it doesn't, then it's not a horror movie. And I think this is the, like, I mean, clearly we understand it and most people do, but I think you you like I hate to blame the studios or something, but they've trained the general audience to believe and accept that like that kind of cheesy whatever horror is what they want and expect. Which is also why I kind of think it's awesome of A twenty four to have dropped this in the summer wide release and been like, hey, we don't even care if this isn't the horror you're expecting. We know it's great, and then we can debate about the horror of it and get into more of it. I think, um, you know, you, you hit it on the head as far as um, studios, because I think for a really long time, mainstream horror movies were crap. We were getting fed a lot of <laughs> terrible movies. And so casual horror movie fans um, or even even big time horror movie fans, I feel like when you go to, um, you know, the chain theaters and you want to see like the latest horror movie, they were a lot of garbage or um, mostly riddled with jump scares. Um, and you brought up A24, who I think have been releasing a lot of really great, um, smart horror movies that kind of show that this can be more than just blood and guts. You know, movies like um, The Witch or even Green Room. I know there's a lot of controversy whether or not Green Room is a horror movie. Um, I personally think that it is. And The Witch is flat out a horror movie, despite if you're not scared. For me, The Witch is similar to Hereditary, that there's a lot of weird out of place shit happening the entire time. And so you, you feel uneasy. And that's what a horror movie partly is to me, is that feeling of unease and that things aren't operating the way they should. Um, and I think Hereditary falls right in line with that. You, there's a lot of things that are just slightly off until it hits that climax. Yeah, for sure. But even, I mean, I, I want to get to it, but I don't know if we should wait. But like the ending to me almost seems like a, a blatant way for him to wrap it up in a way where he's like, this is clearly horror in case you forgot. Like, oh, that ending. Um, <laughs> that ending was probably the only thing that bothered me about the movie. I loved the movie so much until probably those last maybe two or three minutes, maybe even less of that. It might have been the very, very last minute that I was like, oh, why did you do that? And of course, we can get ending yeah but okay well because because i mean it's almost like you could de the, the debate about it is is you know we, okay i feel like we've settled clearly that anyone who's debating whether or not this is horror is dumb and i hate, hate to make that claim but it's like there's so many clear elements to it that it's horror but nonetheless there's all this great pieces to it and then i i i i the ending is its own discussion but um before we get to that i, I do want to just reiterate how how just like how much it messed me up when we finally get to the, and, and spoiler, I hope for, for those who haven't seen it yet, I hope everyone has who's listened to it, but when we get to the, the beheading moment, just how, like, how, it's not, I don't even care if it's horror or not, but just how, how much disgust it gave me, but it's also in the way 
um, that Alex Wolf plays that role. It's just like his facial expression and his response and just all of that. It's just so, and that's what I've really loved about Hereditary is how much horror, like the horror of a realistic thing happening is what really, really like unsettles me with Hereditary particularly. So you guys don't like that cult ending thing. That's what you're talking about, right? <laughs> I was mostly bothered by the fact that they spelled it out. I think it was pretty clear what happened. And actually, um, I watched this movie opening night um, for um, a friend's birthday. And there was probably about 30 or 40 of us um, there, all horror movie fans, uh, most of them in the industry in some capacity. And I had three different conversations or three conversations with three different people. Um, and each one of them all had the same problem with that ending where it felt almost like a studio note. Like somebody at the studio said, ah, we got to make this more clear. We've got to make it obvious what happened, that the demon has passed from one body to another and that these people are part of a cult that have worked together to bring back this demon. <laughs> um, when I thought it was you know, pretty obvious. Um, so that was my only my only um, um, issue with the movie was that throughout the movie, it I felt like they were really respecting the audience. Um, and then at the very end, they were like, in case you didn't get it, here's literally what happened. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I, I, okay, I'll defend it in the, and I would love to, you can respond to me and say, no, you're full of shit, Alex. But I liked it in the sense that it is like the Hale Pyman moment where they're just like, ah, we're gonna go all out and just like shove it in your face in a way um, and not make you question anything about hey this is actually happening um, and you're right in that it is clearly there anyway and like the whole movie at some point you start to see it coming together like this is what it's leading to I think there was like one scene where there's the passage where she, like he says oh we need a weak person for Pyman to come into and then you're like okay well there it is there it's gonna happen but just still like I also like it in that there isn't a nice wrap-up ending like, oh, hey, we get rid of him, the world's saved. It's just like, no, nope, he's here. It's done. And of course, it's, I don't want to say there's a, like a sequel set up to it, but just that I, I like that boldness of it, even though I understand that you don't like that it goes so straightforward. But I don't know. I will defend it for that sake. Yeah, I actually really did like the way that it was ending. But as it started to wrap up and I realized we were in the last few minutes, I started thinking, please don't let there be a click sound and then a black and then just like blackout. Please don't let it end that way. Um, we didn't get that luckily. Um, but I really wish that the end scene was just them grabbing the crown and placing it on him. And that's the end, you know, showing that the demon is passed over to him. He is now the prince or the king. I don't remember what it was. Um, and that he has this legion of followers. Um, but just how they literally spelled it out, I think really bothered me because I loved how subtle a lot of the other things in the movie um, were, um, which would would get you to watch the movie a couple other times. I, I actually um, need to rewatch this movie because I think I'll catch more things on subsequent views. Whereas um, having that ending just made it seem like, well, if I had any questions, they answered them all. I will never need to watch this movie again. <laughs> That's let's, it. Let's talk about those little things you saw 
Well, well, are you okay to do this, or do you want to experience them completely on your own, raw? Or can we talk about the little things that I thought were really amazingly impressive about this movie? Yeah, I would love to talk about those. Okay, so some of them are probably obvious, and I want to just kind of have open open chat about it. Because one of the things I liked most about the movie was how subtle, like you said, all the signs were, all the sort of details were. Yeah, I just the very first shot of the movie had a fly come across it and i was like okay you know it brought me right back as a sort of casual horror fan it brought me back to the ring and it brought me back to just sort of like uh, there's always like the crow or the the fly there's some animal in these films that sort of represents death in a literal but figurative way and i thought it was kind of cool okay cool so what kind of movie are we going to get into is this going to be one of those subtle um metaphorical movies but it's so casual about the way it does that opening shot, and then it, it pans out in that beautiful way of revealing the inside of... I mean, like, how the first of all, how the hell did they do that? Second of all, um, why did they not do it again? I spent mm-hmm. the rest of the movie, like, waiting for them to do more of those sort of, like, going in or showing, using that as a sort of device. But then I, after the film, I started to wonder, like, well, why did they do that? Was it style? Was the choice to have that opening shot go into a sort of, you know, the the uh, miniature home and become real? Was that just a stylistic choice because it was cool? Was there a, a subtle message being displayed there? Uh, were they did they want us to wonder if it was all of, um, imaginary? Like, what what is your take on why all that the was above. the opening shot? All the above. <laughs> everything you just said i think it was a combination of oh, personally i think it's a combination of style but also setting a tone and representation for the story we're about to get right i and i i agree i think that it was definitely a style choice it does look fucking awesome um but yeah. i also think that it sets it up to show that um that the miniature home is also representative of the actual home and the actual family members um tony collette's character has very little control over what's happening in her family. Um, And even with her mother having passed away, she didn't have any control when her mother was around. And I think having her be such a specific or have this such a specific occupation um, of being an artist who makes miniature models, um, I think shows that she was trying to regain control in some way. Um, and I think that that shows throughout the film where she's losing control over um, her marriage, her children, herself, um, what she views as reality. Um, she's spiraling the entire time. And these miniatures are the only thing she has real control over. And then at some point she loses control over that. I always you, you can tell you kind of know from the beginning that things will escalate into her destroying all of those miniatures like it just had to happen mm-hmm. but i really thought they did a great job of pacing that out and and making it feel earned because i i had just assumed when it started that it was probably going to be like some shit's going to go down she's going to think she sees something and she's inside of it and she's going to destroy it but just to actually use it as a cathartic break for her as a character was what had to happen it was the right choice and it was actually like a really nice moment to be able to see the husband come home to her in that state and to watch how he reacts to it because I found him to be a really fascinating character. I mean, usually, you know, 
usually the husband or or the wife the the spouse is always this sort of doubting figure that oh, whatever you're crazy and then they get them you know send them into an insane, insane asylum or whatever the movie needs and or they die or something and i just thought the trailer kind of spoiled his ending for me and i wish i hadn't seen the trailer it was just kind of really interesting to try and figure out how unpredictable they all were and what they were going to do next in this movie yet there were signs everywhere of what was going to happen. Um, so they did a really good job of masking the next steps, which doesn't always happen in horror films, for me at least. I think a lot of stuff gets telegraphed almost too much, and foreshadowing is obvious. And in this movie, the foreshadowing was much, was much more subtle. And, and I thought that was a really, really exciting thing to see, and one of the reasons I liked the movie so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that I actually thought the husband was a really great character. Um, a lot of the times, I mean, especially I, was just, I actually just rewatched um, Orphan, and they kind of show all these things going wrong, and the husband or the father not noticing anything, um, but also not really doing anything. Um, whereas in this film, it feels like the father really was trying, and the husband really was trying to help everybody in the family and trying to keep things together. Um, and I think that was a, a pleasant change to see the man actually trying to help everybody else out in the family and actually being present, even if he didn't really understand what was going on and him thinking she was just crazy and making all of this stuff up. Um, if you think about it, a, a lot of it did seem like she was making it up. There was stuff that, that no one other than her could understand, um, especially because she lost both her mother and her daughter in such a short span of time, I think the husband and father um, was reacting in, in, in a very logical way. Um, typically, I just, typically I think like, God, this guy sucks. Um, but even though he wasn't able to fix everything, I think he really tried. Yeah, I, I think it's, I thought, I, I, I've also heard a lot of complaints about his performance, but I think his performance represented someone who was uh, a great example of someone dealing with things in a way where he doesn't outwardly show his his uh, feelings and that he's he's like reserved and as you said trying to do things and keep things together in a way that obviously comes to a fault eventually but like his character is played so well in a way that of course you can look at it and seem like this isn't a good performance but I think it is because it's exactly how that kind of person that way would react and would attempt to handle this kind of situation and just like work through it in his own way and he doesn't and he doesn't need to be the one who who like falls apart or has his own you know chaos to go through when there's enough other stuff happening and obviously Tony Collette being the main character anyway that we're following did did you guys see the trailer before this movie I saw um it might have been the very, very first teaser trailer. I don't even know if it was actually the full trailer. Um, but I'm one of those people that if it's a movie that I'm going to watch regardless, um, I don't seek out the trailers. Um, to be honest, I've actually, even though I'm a huge horror fan, um, have not watched the new Halloween trailer. But I'm going to see it. I'm going to see the movie anyway, opening day, opening weekend. Um, so I just skipped right over it. Why do you say this, Mike? What did you notice? Because, first of all, I watched that trailer a million times. <laughs> I thought it was honestly one of the best trailers I'd ever seen, period. I yeah. um, I was anxious to see this movie because of the trailer, and yet I knew that I would have to see it alone, 
and I have a new puppy, and my and work is crazy, and I just I, I have no opportunity to see it. And then a friend came in town, and we decided to go to a ten o'clock movie because fuck it. So I get to see the movie finally, but every, all the things that I had seen in the trailer started to recall for me, and like you get to the moment at the fire, and I re- I remember very specifically watch seeing her screaming at somebody on fire in the in the trailer so like as the tra- as the movie is continuing and then she's bringing her husband into the room with the fire i'm like oh shit i know how this is gonna end and i hate oh. that feeling so much and then at the same time like i knew that um uh peter is that the character's name what's the son's name sure. whatever i i knew that the son was gonna smash his face into the desk and freak out at some point so it's like I'm actually not somebody who feels like spoilers affect him very much. I, I actually – the process of watching a movie in its entirety is very different from seeing moments happen on screen. But for the first time in a long time, I was frustrated that I knew what was about to happen was not what the film was guiding me towards. That, that you know, I, I imagine I will never get to know the feeling of thinking, of, of thinking she's going to light on fire and then have him burst into flames. Interesting. Um, I don't recall that from the trailer. It might have been in, in the longer trailer that I didn't watch. Um, but I do remember that that was a very surprising uh, scene for me. And I feel like you that spoilers usually don't bother me. Um, because no matter if I read exactly what happens or someone describes something to me, it'll still never feel the way that I feel the first time I actually see it on screen. Um, and in the same way that I could watch the same movie over and over and over again, and it still feel a movie could still feel incredible to me because it's how I'm experiencing. It's not just me reading words or reading a tweet or a comment. Um, but that is curious that, that that was the first moment that you felt like, I wish I hadn't seen this. Um, because I do recall, like I said, um, being very, very surprised that that's what happened because it didn't seem based on you know, the movie's rules up until that point that that would happen. So it felt like at that moment, okay, things are going out the window and all the clues that I've gathered up from all the other scenes prior to this may not really matter at this point. Yeah. Mike had to step out, so he can't respond to you, but um, I'll keep it going. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, that's what I actually really like about Hereditary is the way it kind of subverts what you're expecting to happen in every scene and what like the typical horror cliche moments that would have happened. And I, I, I appreciate that it, it messes with you a little bit in that sense. And I, I think I know what Mike is getting at with some of these scenes. And I have that problem too, where I watch trailers and I'm like, oh no, no I'm expecting this to happen. But even even like the head slammy moment wasn't exactly at the moment I thought would happen. And even when I'm watching it, it didn't take me out of it. And I and I like how much hereditary messes with that. And I I don't know. I think that's what I loved about it so much is that, that just like the filmmaking in Hereditary and the choices he made within how it's presented and how the story is told are so much more mature and intelligent than most horror filmmakers. And I, I don't know if that's because he made it independently and because it wasn't something, you know, driven by the studio mandate to be this or that. But, like, I, that's what impresses me the most about this film. It's just those those choices he made and how he keeps viewers on the edge. And I think this is what also what Mike said very early on um, 
about how like this is clearly a guy who's watched a lot of horror films in his his life and is not trying to remake or do what they've done before, but to do something different. Right, I mean, and I, I agree. Um, just because even the very first part of the movie to me doesn't actually feel like a horror movie; it just kind of feels like a family drama. Uh, yes. And then again, as I mentioned several times before, that something seems a little off here, a little off there. And at that point, I thought, okay, this is building. It's progressively getting weirder. Things are getting worse for specific characters. Um, I can see where this is headed now, um, which I actually, I actually really liked. He didn't start the movie off just like this is a flat-out horror movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you? I mean, do you think, as a horror fan who's seen so much, is it? And I know you're not a filmmaker, but I'm, I'm going to ask you anyway. But do you think it's like hard for someone to actually do something different in the genre nowadays, especially someone who's seen so much horror? Or is it easier for them to be like, well, this is everything that's been done in the past. Now I know what not to do. Um, I think it's I think it is it is possible to make uh, original horror films. Um, I'm thinking of a movie, you know, like um, um, Justin and Aaron's movie, The Endless. Um, yeah, I can't awesome. think of a movie that's uh, even remotely close to something like that. I mean, you can think of the movies that they that they um, borrowed concepts from, but they put it into um, their own movie. Um, and so I think that you can make original horror films. And in the same way, um, I'm not one of those people that just outright hates remakes because my favorite director of all time, David Cronenberg, my favorite Cronenberg movie is The Fly, and that's a remake. Um, but he did it in his own style and um, he changed things just slightly so that it felt fresh and new and was a commentary on what was happening at that time of that movie coming out. Um, and, but I also, I also have to say that I think it's harder for filmmakers because of um, how nitpicky um, audiences are now. You can come out with an original horror movie you know, like hereditary and people will find things to be wrong with it. People will think of it ripping off some other movie. They'll compare it to the exorcist when there's just, you know, one small aspect of it that's similar to the exorcist. It's a completely different film. Um, so I think that filmmakers, you know, again, not as a filmmaker, but as a horror fan, I think that filmmakers should be striving to do something different based on what they know and what they like and what they're passionate about. Um, and as long as they're not intentionally trying to rip another movie off, just, you know, put it out there and let people decide if it's, if it's good enough or not. Um, and, you know, don't worry about, is this too close to this other movie? Um, because I think that's when people kind of get stuck. People, especially when you're doing a studio film where people are like, we want it to be like this movie that did well last year. And, you know, this movie from 30 years ago, um, you know, that's where you come up against problems. But, you know, something like The Endless where, you know, those guys just love horror movies and they have this concept and, you know, whether it's, you know, a sci-fi or a thriller or a horror movie, they just kind of put it out there because it's something that they believed in. Yeah. And thank you for bringing up The Endless because it's an awesome movie and I want people to see it. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, it's the opposite of Hereditary in that it, it's not making a lot of money. And, I, and you know, I hate that, that money is always the measure for what Hollywood does. But because Hollywood has become so used to the, the jump scary kind of cheesy horror that that's why they keep re making more of that. But then I'm also happy for Hereditary making so much money 
as an example of like, look, you can do something different and unique and still make money. And of course, it's A24 who kind of is good at this. I don't want to say niche, but you know what I mean? Like, hey, they can take something that's just a great film and market it into something that's a success. Um, but this also makes me think something similar to what you're saying. I also loved Upgrade. And I'm curious mm -hmm. if you loved it too. Um, because that's another one where it's like, it's basically RoboCop remade but it's like awesomely done in a very good smart modern like sci-fi way yeah so i actually really loved um upgrade for you know all the cronenberg-esque stuff in it it's it's so cronenberg um but it also feels um fresh because most of us know lee Wan l from horror movies we know him from you know saw and insidious you know even being an actor in those um in in um that franchise um and it felt just fresh that there's a, this guy that loved these kind of like, you know, movies from like the 80s, these sci-fi Robocop type things, and then um, made this movie that to some people might just seem like a ripoff of all those movies that we, we can name that he pulled ideas from. But um, to me, it felt really fresh and fun and um, a really good addition um, to all of the, you know, bigger movies that are coming out this year. And that got a lot of really good word, uh, word of mouth going on about it. Um, so yeah, I was, I was definitely a fan of Upgrade. Good. Did you see the ritual, the, the, um, the whole, like forest horror one that everyone was Yeah, about David Bruckner's film. Yeah. And I, and I love that also. I, I hate to sound like I just love every horror movie. Um, <laughs> but. Was there anything you uh, like? But, uh... Oh, there's definitely, there's definitely movies that, that, um, I did not like, but, um, you know, I really did like um, the ritual that, and it just, you know, it went straight to Netflix. I think it was a movie that they made specifically for Netflix. Um, yeah. And I think it's similar to The Endless that um, these movies are, you know, maybe not the ritual because you can just see it on, on Netflix, but something like The Endless, um, it was kind of harder to find until it hit VOD, um, mm -hmm. whereas something like Hereditary got a wide release, I think, um, just straight off the bat. Um, yeah. An upgrade, I think, had like a limited release, but living in LA was very easy for me to see. Um, even with the endless, I remember seeing it at um, AFI Fest last year, um, and then it got a, a limited release in LA. Um, but I'm trying to think of, you know, the people that live in like, I don't know, um, Michigan or Idaho. How are they supposed to access the endless or even know about the endless? Um, unless they, you know, follow Justin and Aaron's career, or if they're, you know, on the horror subreddit, or if they read Bloody Disgusting, um, whereas something like Hereditary, um, even somebody who doesn't even follow horror movies, if you just went to the movie theater and was like, what's out tonight, you might happen upon that movie, and it has Tony Collette, um, that's a star, you might just have walked into that movie theater and just lucked out on seeing this amazing movie. Um, I think that's different with something like The Ritual and The Endless. Yeah, and I wonder if maybe even though the the some of the reactions to the to to hereditary from the general public have been negative because of the like it's not scary claims, I wonder if this is just going to be good in like slowly training these general public to like this kind of film more. And I don't mean I don't mean to like categorize it in a in a way of like this film, but I mean to say something that isn't what they've expected in the past, but is still some interesting, unique core. Like, I hope there was one scene in it, at least that they walked out, like, still on their mind thinking about. Or, like, one thing, one little horror moment in their mind that, like, you know, they can at least take home and say, oh, well, 
I didn't like this film, but at least this. And then, you know, progressively get more and more, which is kind of what, you know, also the topic of the podcast is just this idea that, like, it's cool to see horror movies put out in the summer in the midst of um, so much horror being either an October Halloween kind of concept or the studios have been doing January, February horror releases. Yep. But to be so brave is to be like, okay, we're going to drop Hereditary wide release in the middle of summer and just, like, not even care what the reaction is like I think that's so bold and, and I agree I mean yeah usually the, the January is the dumping ground for horror movies I get um, friends together every year to watch the very first uh, horror movie release of the year and it's always the worst movie it's always garbage um, I think I'm trying to think of what movie came out this year but last last year was like Bye Bye Man um, I think we got uh, Devil's Due one year um, but yeah, I think they also feel like they had something special. Um, I know people who are not horror fans, um, devout not horror fans, and also people who are terrified of horror movies that asked me, should I watch this movie? I'm hearing so many great things about this movie. I want to see this movie to see what it's about. And I think um, Hereditary is a really good kind of entry point in there because there are some jump scares um but it also shows that horror movies again as we you know go, um, kind of loop back to what we said before aren't just blood and guts and ghosts um yeah. horror movies like the babadook could be more um about things that are going on or going wrong in your life that are kind of also um happening you know in a supernatural way um and yeah, I just, I like you, I just wish that more people understood that horror movies were not just those movies that you think about that are dumped out um, in January um, and that there could be a lot more thought and that there are movies that could require a couple more viewings than just that first one and something that you can actually have a discussion about afterward, like an entire podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, this also makes me have hope for, um, and I wanted to mention this when you were talking about remakes, but for Suspiria which is like, I think it's November this year. Mm -hmm. So it's not a summer release, but it's got like, it's got this huge potential from, you know, the early buzz that it's like Kubrickian level intelligence to it, which it's like, yes, it's a remake. And of course you could argue, we don't need to remake Suspiria because the original is perfect as is, but also like what he's doing with it, what Luke is doing with it and what the, the sense of it is and what little tease we've had in this first trailer. And I don't know if you've even seen it. You probably haven't, but like, Oh, I, I at least saw like, that. I at least saw the trailer for this because I had a friend who actually has already seen Suspiria uh, or oh, really? the remake. And um, he was like, he told me some, some aspects of it that I honestly could not believe. He had mentioned that, um, that the movie was very desaturated in color. And I was like, there's no fucking way. Like, we know Suspiria for those rich, just dreamlike sequences. Like, that's Suspiria. That's, um, you know, that's Argento. And so if you just desaturate it, is it even just Suspiria? Is it just like a witch movie then? Um, and so I watched the trailer because I just, I needed to at least see what the look of it was. But he knows what he's doing. That's what I'm saying. Luca knows what he's doing. Even if it's, I think he also knows that he doesn't want to replicate the original film. I think he knows that he's like, it's time to separate myself and say, yes, we're of course playing with the same kind of story and contest, but also this is my film and this is what I'm doing and it is different. And I love what he's doing and I hope, because I think Amazon is now bold enough to drop it wide release and I, and I have a hope that like, it's another one that messes with audiences where they're like, there's going to be, I think, some genuinely messed up scares in it, but I think there's also going to be 
really cerebral scares to it, which is a great thing for horror to put out and be like, look, you know, challenge our typical notion of it and, and you know, push what we would think of horror. And yes, e even though it's a remake, but like a really smart remake. I have such high hopes for it. I just hope it delivers. Yeah, I and I definitely agree. Like I said, um, with The Fly, it's, it, it is a flat-out remake, and um, but Cronenberg made it his own. And the reason that The Fly is my favorite Cronenberg movie, you know, um, despite all of his other fantastic films, which probably would make me sound cooler as a Cronenberg fan to be like, oh yeah, Videodrome or The Brood or Shivers are my favorite Cronenberg films. Um, I honestly feel like The Fly is accessible and um, the most Cronenberg film in the way that it shows that he doesn't just have to be super weird and, and off-putting and, you know, alienate people from watching his films, that this movie can be accessible but still really unnerving in Cronenberg's own body horror type of way. And I'm hoping for Suspiria to be similar in that we will recognize it as a Suspiria remake. The main story will still be there. Um, but that it doesn't just feel like they, you know, remade Suspiria, you know, scene for scene and just desaturated it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank goodness. Um, this makes me want to ask you, Annette, is there a film, a horror film that you experienced and, and or that you know of that is the best horror or one of the best horror films to get non-horror people into horror? You know what I'm saying? Like... I, okay, I'll tell you my story, and it's really terrible because it's not going to be referenced for anyone else, and it's it's bad. But I wasn't a horror film until I started a horror fan until I started watching Saw Two and Saw Three. <laughs> I know they're really bad references, but I started watching them, and so I was like, "Oh my god, these are good!" Like, like in a way that it just made me enjoy it. And then I started. That's what started. Like that was the door opened for me. And then I started seeing more and more, being like, "Oh my god, there's a whole genre here." Is there any film that you would recommend for people who are like, ah, oh, I'm not into horror that, that you have experience with with your friends that you think like, okay, this actually changes people's minds? Um, I would think one of the films that I've recommended to people that, that say that they aren't really horror movie fans is um, It Follows. Um, uh, because yeah. it is a flat-out horror movie. There's no way around that. Um but it also shows that um, that a killer could be not actually a human being. And that um, I also like that you can't really tell when it takes place. Um, it's one of those kinds of films that it that this horror, this thing that's that's chasing them and that's scaring them, um, that's driving this film can take place anywhere, anytime. Um, mm. The thing that scares me the most about uh, it follows is that um, the thing that's killing everybody isn't a human. It's not somebody that something that you can argue or um, you know bring logic to. It's not like even you know um, the shape in in Halloween. Even though he's even though you probably can't convince him to not kill you, you feel like because he's somewhat of a human, you can kind of maybe trick him or convince him to not kill you whereas in it follows it's killing you regardless and there is it will never get tired it will never not be able to get to you as long as you it just waits it out um and i think that's what's the most scary about it follows and um everybody i've recommended it to um has loved the movie um even if they still even afterwards was like i'm not really into horror movies but that one was cool mm. 
That's a good reference. It follows is great. Yeah, I really like it. Um, this also makes me want to, want to mention the Quiet Place a little bit because one of the things I really enjoyed about Quiet Place was this feeling that you like you can't. Of course, they're trying to figure out how to defeat the quote unquote enemy, the the creatures. But at the same time, I like when horror movies are kind of just like, ah, we can't win, and it's just about survival, and it's just about a survival in a sense of like, what's the smartest way within the rules that the world has established that we can survive in an attempt to outsmart them. And I like the way that film starts like a year, I think it was a year or two into the invasion at this point where they've already just been like, okay, well, it's not about defeating them now, it's about this small contained story within A Quiet Place's um, realm of this family and what's going on with it. Um, and I, I, this is one of my favorite films of the year so far is A Quiet Place. Mike mentioned this as, as being something completely opposite of Hereditary in a way where um, they're both really strong horror films, but they're both playing on completely different ideas. Uh, and that, and that, while her, A Quiet Place didn't open in the summer, it's more spring release, but still nonetheless, like a film that did extremely well at the box office, that connected with a lot of people and played well. And it really like played with ideas in a really smart way that I just was so happy to see. Um, and that, I mean, I could just, I really love this film, but, but just for what it is, for being a perfect little package and for not trying to go bigger or crazier than it is. There's, it's not perfect. There's some little like tiny details I have problems with, but yeah. Did you like A Quiet Place? Oh man, I loved it. But I also went into it with very low expectations, um, really literally no expectations. Um, and I loved it. And I told people um, that they needed to see it and to try to see it um, at a movie theater um, with really good sound, but try to find like a setting where people would be respective or uh, respectful of the movie. Um, because I think the people in the theater also really need to be quiet and be paying attention for you to get the full experience. Um, but I did love, um, that it, it did kind of turn in more into a survival, um, movie kind of, it kind of reminded me, even the ending of it kind of reminded me of the mist, um, where I feel, and, and this is a spoiler, but I just wish that, the little girl had found out what she needed to do just a little earlier. So John Krasinski didn't have to die. Um, <laughs> in the same way in the midst, it's like, I wish they had just waited a few more minutes. So not everybody had to die. Um, and in the same way, it's, it's a group of people just trying to figure out, well, how do we survive in, in what is our new reality? Um, mm. And the other thing that I really, really loved about A Quiet Place is that they just showed how strong women were. Like, Emily Blunt just knocked it out of the park um, in this. I mean, even from, you know, giving birth in that scene to, like, <laughs> stepping on that nail and just dealing with it. Like, um, I just love that they gave all of the power. They, they really empowered everybody in this film but they didn't make Emily Blunt's character weak in really any sort of way. They weren't like, she's the mother. We need to, you know, she's, she's gotta be sad about the kids. She's only there to be a nurturer. Um, she really turns things around and is like, I need to keep everything together, um, you know, for everybody in here. Everybody needs to be putting in 110% so that the four of us can survive. And, and now this baby, um, 
but yeah, I mean, God, I wish that little girl had just figured it out just a little earlier. <laughs> no, but, but that's exactly why Kaczynski has to die is because then you get to the moment where you're like, yes, now it's Emily Blunt being awesome. And it's like, it, it's an interesting twist. And this is a kind of a trend with, with movies nowadays where it ends with the hero finally becoming the hero, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like in a way where you're like, yeah, we get to finally become the hero, but wait, we don't have any more movie left. But it was yeah. cool to end on that. It didn't piss me off as much as The Mist. The Mist ending just like angered me, you know? But this was like, oh, I guess because people, at least two people survived. Um, but, uh, or was it three? Does the other boy survive? No, I forget. Um, I don't remember if he did. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember I had watched it back in April and I haven't uh, I haven't seen it since, but I do remember just being like, Ugh. I also wasn't a big fan of, uh, of of the daughter to begin with. I felt like, um, you know, she was being a teenager as, the, as they usually do and like rebelling and things going wrong yeah. because, you know, she's doing, trying to like be her own person. Um, and I do agree that it didn't anger me nearly as much as The Mist. In fact, um, you know, they had a showing of The Mist in Black and White a few weeks ago in L.A. And for weeks leading up to it, I was debating if I was going to go because I remember the last time I saw The Mist in a movie theater was at the New Bev um, for a Mondo Mystery movie several years ago. And I remember how terrible I felt afterward. I had to drive home and it was the saddest, loneliest, just juriest <laughs> drive home ever. And I thought, I, I don't know if I want to feel that again. Um, and I like try to think of like things like to do, like to try to minimize that. Okay. After I watch the movie, I'll come home and I'll watch the Muppet movie or something. that feels really great. Or I'll just find everybody I know at the theater and like ask them for a hug, like some, uh, some sort of palate cleanser. Um, and as it turns out, I didn't end up watching it because I was like, I don't need to put myself through this feeling again. Um, and I definitely don't feel that strongly about a quiet place. I think that I could very easily watch a quiet place 50 more times and not feel like the worst afterward. Um, but I did bring, bring that up in to say that it is about survival. It isn't, it's less so about these monsters that they're trying to, um, sur- you know, trying to survive from, but also just kind of their own inner demons. How are we going to deal with having these kids and also feeling like maybe one of our kids didn't need to die because one kid made a mistake and like learning to forgive, um, and also learning to, you know, um, raise these children in this new reality um especially because i think one of the i think the girl is probably like a preteen, and that's like just a terrible time to be a parent anyway um when things are going normal in the world um and same with the mist that you know um you're dealing with everybody and their own beliefs and how they want to deal with things and what they think the purpose of all of this is when all you kind of want to do is try to make sure you make it through the next day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this is, I mean, you, you beautifully touched upon the, the very concept of horror, which is that while it is horror and it is about, you know, whatever's going on, but it's also about something else, bigger issues, it's similar to the way sci-fi is not just about sci-fi and space and future, but it's about, major issues in the way you use that concept to discuss these bigger things. And the, and the quiet place really does that beautifully as the, an intimate family drama of, you know, like you said, the loss and the, 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 the feeling of how to keep a family together in the middle of this. And I mean, that's what the best horror is about more than just simply a small story of something quote unquote horrific happening, but like a larger scale discussion, of course, you know, going back to, 
Night of the Living Dead and and the um, social commentary that the, the the horror from that time had and and how we can still do that today through these well-made, really smart horror films that that um, relate to today and are also entertaining in a in a great way. And I think A Quiet Place is such a great example of that. It's like it's a smart film that is also a thrilling horror. Like that that I love watching with the right audience, as you say, with not people making noises <laughs> i mean i was lucky to have a quiet audience thank goodness but uh can i ask yeah. you a question hi i'm back um hello <laughs> so i i i feel like a quiet place is a movie best experienced in a theater right that's the general response i think most people would give about that movie but at the same time for me Horror films, especially as a genre, are most effective when I'm watching them on an iPad on an airplane. All right, Alex, you let it out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, it, there's no place I feel more um, just trapped inside of the movie than when I have you know noise canceling headphones on and I'm huddled over a iPad watching a movie on an airplane with nobody else to talk to, nothing else to do, nothing to look at, nothing but just the thing I'm watching and the sound enveloping my senses 100%. So if I'm watching an iPad um, and I'm watching A Quiet Place, which I'm going to be on an airplane tomorrow, and I plan on, on watching A Quiet Place for the first time since I saw it in theaters on my iPad, huddled over it, in uh, an airplane and I feel like I'm going to get a better experience because I'm going to have it all to myself I'm not going to be thinking about that asshole chewing popcorn near me I'm not going to be listening to the sounds outside of the theater anything I'm just in it myself and I feel like I'll have a much better experience that way and the same thing goes for all horror films like everything every movie I've ever watched horror I've, I've enjoyed more or reacted more uh, favorably to the movie, I'm assuming, uh, when I watch it in that setting. Do you guys feel this way? Yes, but Mike, I just want to say that the, the, there are great moments with horror as a community cinema experience, like when the audience is fully invested in it and you feel the chills and the scares and the screams together, that's also an incredible experience. But anyway, sorry. No, there, I mean, no, there's no, no question about that. You're right. And there is a, a sense of feeling other people's fear in a theater. And that and it happened a lot in Hereditary. I mean, there's a sort of like discomfort. I had a couple next to me that was just like losing it every time anything would happen. They would just jump and panic at every possible thing. And that put me more on edge. And it was just kind of like it, there is a shared experience. But I also feel distracted by it sometimes. And when I am 100% focused on a movie, like I have to be in that scenario, it's just different. I mean, I, I love the shared experience of going to, to a movie theater. Um, I go to the movies several times a week, and I often go by myself. And, of course, there are other people there at the theater, um, but I'm fine going you know, to a movie alone. Um, and I do agree that I kind of like especially with the, a quiet place, there were those mo moments where everybody thought, oh shit. And it just felt amazing that we were all watching this movie um, for the first time, most of us for the first time, and we all had that exact same reaction to that scene. And I think that made the movie feel 
you know, special to me that that despite all these people in this theater who have grown up, um, whether they were watching horror movies and are maybe a little, um, you know, desensitized to things, um, or people that were there because they were there for like, you know, a press screening or they were friends and family of, um, of the cast and crew, um, that we all had that same reaction to those moments. And um, as much as I would love to say that I only watch movies because I want to watch them and, I, and movies are just for me, I kind of like understanding how the same movies that I love or don't like affect other people and what they do or don't like about those same movies. Um, there are also scenes that, that um, in movies that um, trigger me that don't trigger others because of, you know, my own experiences or their own, their own experiences. So while I do like watching movies on my own, like, you know, on an iPad or my laptop on like an airplane um, or just at home, I really would have to say if I had to choose ever watching movies alone for the rest of my life or with a group, um, I would choose with a group. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> also, that. I, I, I mean, tend like, to fall asleep waiting. on airplanes too. So, I mean, I'm going to be on an airplane tomorrow and I never, ever bring a movie. Um, I might choose a movie that they're showing and if, if I can't fall asleep, but nine times out of 10, I'm like passed out in a car, in a plane, anywhere. If it's like, if it's a moving vehicle, I'm passed out. Well, I look, I mean, I if you asked me to choose between sitting on an airplane and watching a movie on my iPad versus going to the movie theater, um, I would be crazy to say airplane. Um, I, I, I'm probably seeing the movie on the airplane the second, third, fourth time, whatever that I've seen the movie. So I actually get to really invest my, my body into it. Uh, but I also, you know, maybe I missed the movie. So I'll I'll prefer to see it there than watching it in my on my couch where I have distractions, and I I guess you know comparatively yeah there is no comparison. The sound design is fifty times better in a movie theater. I I don't have thirty five speakers in my headphones, you know. Right. So there's definitely um, a lot to consider when you compare the two. But with horror films, I feel like it is the only genre where I can feel like I can I can experience the movie properly or at least effectively by sitting on an airplane watching it on my ipad whereas if i'm trying to watch a drama or i try to watch a comedy or whatever all of those movies the sensations i'm supposed to get out of them kind of drift away when i'm not sharing a comedy for sure you have to experience that with other people i don't think there's a question there it's like i see your point mike i okay, get good. it great I just... okay <laughs> that's all you wanted me to get is to see no i i, I see I see your point, um, and it makes me want to ask, like both of you, is there one film in the past that you would say, uh, like you you would choose to watch it on your own because there's something about it that, like, you, you just like it better by yourself in your own home? I don't know. Is there some kind of horror film that feels like that's a great, the better way to watch it for you, or is there just not like watching like a movie just by myself alone? That I get a better experience out of? Is that the question? Yeah, is there anything yeah, is there anything now that like you can think about like, oh well, I just have had a personal experience with this one, I'd rather choose to watch it by myself. I mean, because I would uh, if, to, to preface with my own answer, I would probably say there's probably something, but then there's also whatever I think of would be the kind of film that I'd, I would love to show an audience of people and see how they react as well, but also, you know, wouldn't like uh I'll give you mine. I don't know. I'll give you mine. Well, Cabin in the Woods. 
Really? Yeah. It's just That's a movie a- that I don't feel like anybody I know who I would watch it with would take it seriously enough because I find it to be a really enjoyable movie. But, like, I don't know anybody in my life that I feel like would be would enjoy it the way I enjoy it. And I this is one of the this one of three movies in the in this genre that is saved on my iPad at all times and available to me when I have less than a full movie's worth of time to watch something on an airplane. So like that last 30 minutes or something. I watch it a lot. Mm-hmm. I, it, there's just so many things that happen in that movie that are enjoyable for me and I can pause and go back, you know, or pause and look look at the frame and the scene and stuff. Like, in this genre, at least, that would be my movie. Yeah, that's actually interesting that you bring up uh, Cabin in the Woods, because I love that movie. Um, And I was actually going to say, since I'm going to be on a plane um, this week, that I'm going to try watching a horror movie, just and being totally just engrossed in it, just with my headphones. And maybe I'll do Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good one, because there are enough jump scares to really, like, being enveloped with only the sounds of the movie getting you. But also... By staring at the screen like a psycho, you really see some of the cool details and the depth of the characters and the monsters and whatever. Yeah, I definitely I think I'll, I'll go ahead and download that one and watch it um, on the plane this week. But as far as a, a horror movie for me that I feel like I can only really enjoy by myself, um, I would say probably something like Brain Scan for kind of a similar reason that I can't watch it with anybody else that doesn't think it's a complete joke. I love brain scan. I remember seeing, uh, I saw a sneak preview of it when I was a kid and it terrified the shit out of me, but I loved Edward Furlong in that very small period of his life where it was really good. And so I forced myself to watch it so many times. Um, and it's just so of its time. Uh, it's just like a capsule of, of, of the nineties, like with like the interactive CD ROM and, you know, this technology that, that might've, been real you know a few years from when the movie came out but obviously did not become a reality um i watched brain scan pretty often i actually watched it um when did i watch it last i watched it two days ago because i'm going to montreal and they filmed it in montreal so i just was like watching all these like movies that the that were filmed in montreal like so i watched brain scan and cronenberg shivers and rabbit just to kind of get myself in the mood and I can imagine inviting people over to watch, you know, any Cronenberg movie, and they're not going to make fun of it. But there's no way that anybody's coming over to watch Brain Scan with me. <laughs> yeah, but now I totally want to. Like now, I'm like, okay, yes, they should. Brain Scan, Brain Scan is is great, even though, um, you know, there's it's it's flawed. I know that, and I know that I originally loved it because of of Edward Furlong, and I had a crush on him as a uh, when I was younger. Um, but even now, like, I still enjoy the shit out of it. Um, and it's just one of those movies that I just don't think I can really enjoy with anybody else. Yeah, I understand. I think there's certain kind of horror films that I prefer to watch with like one or two people who can contextualize it better for me. Like if I, if I don't have someone who's like giving it a better reference and helping me understand it in a way where I'm like, okay, I could watch it myself and be like, yeah, okay, it was a horror movie from the 90s or 80s or whenever I'm watching. But then if they could be like, well, yes, but this, and then wait for this moment and watch this, I think that makes for a better experience because this is going against what you're saying, Mike, but just the idea that like some horror movies um, not just are better experience with an audience, but are just better when you understand the impact they had and the, just the... the the feeling that they've had uh, even when they first came out and the effect they had on people, um, which is, there's, there was a whole documentary um, 
uh, last year about uh, Psycho and the way how Hitchcock and the whole stabbing in the shower scene was basically this like iconic moment for audiences where they had just never experienced this before and it like blew them all away and you know, I was trying to make the case that like this changed horror forever because from that point on it was like, you know, it broke all the rules in terms of, um, you know, showing this even happening on the screen. And then that that was what drove people to see it is they're like, oh, my God, I mean, look, I can't believe they're showing this on the big screen. We have to go together and see. It. And people were screaming and running out, supposedly. It's but, amazing like, to me that that's a thing. It's amazing to me that people ever thought that about that scene which is so ridiculously not graphic and not uh scary or anything to me as a member of this generation in which we've seen the things we've seen it's just amazing to think at some point in recent history people were blown away by that scene yeah but it's a good you should watch the documentary it's, uh, i think it's called 7852 78 mm -hmm. slash 52 um and it's it's a great like it explains all of that it's kind of, and it puts it in a context where us young people you know don't understand what it was like to be alive when Psycho came in and have that experience and I and I wait for that now like I wait for I mean there isn't really anything that horror hasn't done anymore things to Eli Roth and all the the craziness but like you know I wait for that day where they're like okay we're gonna do something with horror and put it on the big screen that you haven't seen before I guess. Uh, I don't want to make this reference because I don't like it, but the most recent would have been like Human Centipede and being like, look what we're going to try and throw up here and actually release. Yeah, I was. I actually was thinking of a Serbian film and I was like, don't bring it up, but there I've gone and just brought it up. So. <laughs> see, I don't think, to me, see, that that's an interesting piece of the discussion is like w what classifies as a horror film, you know, when it comes to graphic violence or graphic imagery where like, to me... Movies like, um, oh shit, what's the one Lars von Trier did? Not Melancholia, the one. Antichrist? Yeah. Like, if you think about a movie like Antichrist, where there are images of horror in that film that are designed to disgust you, but it's a drama. I mean, it's a drama. It, it, it's, it's not a horror film. It's not a thriller. It's like a, it's an experimental movie, I guess you can classify it as that. Classifying movies is dumb in the first place, so I'm just making it worse by trying to figure out what these movies are. But to me, like if the movie isn't designed around, or if the story isn't designed around the events that are happening, it's not a horror movie to me. And those movies like just have graphic things happening in them, but it's not they're not designed to to um, to give you the same sensations that I think a true horror film does. But at the same time, I feel like you guys might disagree with that. And I I don't know. I have a hard time understanding when you're allowed to say something is a horror film. But, again, like classifying something as a horror film is kind of beyond the point anyway. It, everybody's going to react differently, especially nowadays. I've seen some really graphic shit in movies, and I see graphic shit on LiveLeak. Like, I mean, you know, the Internet is a dangerous place and has changed the way that audiences uh, can handle these images. And I, I, I just wonder, like, where can they go next while still classifying themselves as a horror film and not just being a gore movie or like a, yeah, like a, 
violence porn or whatever you call them. Hmm. Violence porn. <laughs> I mean, Hostel yeah, I mean, I, is I, not a horror movie, right? Hostel is violence porn. It's just designed to go from scene to scene of graphic torture, torture porn. That's the movie I was thinking of. Like, that's a classification of a movie, I think, in this in genre or in horror genre as maybe a subclassification i guess but like to me eli roth only intended to um to come up with the craziest shit he could within the framework of a normal adventure buddy movie well i definitely consider the hostile hostile franchise horror movies in the same way that i consider um saw the saw franchise horror movies um even though i think that is probably the most infamous franchise that's synonymous with torture porn um but it is really hard for me to classify things as um whether or not they're they're horror movies because just by the word if something terribly horrific happens it could be a horror movie um a lot of thrillers i think you know for me a lot of you know the movies from the 90s where people get kidnapped or even um um, even earlier on, like the vanishing in the original, um, which is a foreign word that I can't pronounce, like those aren't considered horror movies, but they horrified me as a child, as a child, and I was so terrified of being buried alive because of of, of um, you know movies like um, the vanishing. So. I mean, I have to, I might have to step away from this conversation as far as like trying to um, identify whether something is or isn't a horror movie, um, especially when we're trying to argue that horror movies are more than just X, Y, and Z, that they can be something like um, hereditary that on its face to, you know, on paper may not sound like a horror movie, but when you watch it, you can't imagine that it would be classified as anything else. I could go on for hours just asking about the kind of horror that you like and don't like. Because that's actually one of the things that fascinates me is just like hearing about all this stuff. Like, oh, I haven't seen this and this could be cool. And I mean, there was a time uh, when I lived in L.A. like eight or nine years ago where I hadn't really seen a lot of the werewolf films. And um, I just bought like eight of them straight up and was like, all right, I'm going to start with an American werewolf in London, which I hadn't seen at the time. And then Mm -hmm. that was a bad one Mm -hmm. to start with because that set such a precedent. And then I just watched everything else I could. Um, and I actually found, like, what's the, the, the wheelchair one? Is that Silver Bullet? Um, that one was awesome. Like, there's, like, really good, you know, stuff like that, where it's just to, to get in and discover the genre and, and discover it in a way where most of it comes from references from other people, where you're just like, what should I watch and what should I get into and what can I, what can I um, explore and like and, and discover? And then grow an appreciation for the genre and then i'm sure it's the same with you and is that like one of my favorite things used to be going to fantastic fest and just getting obsessively lost in in the genre film world for a week and just like eat the alamo food and just sit there and watch horror get real queso um yeah yeah, i mean fantastic fest is amazing because it is um just a genre fest it's not a horror fest um you know it's not like 
it's, it doesn't have a title like Fright Fest, like over in the UK. Um, right. But they seem to know the kind of movies that if you do like horror movies, what other movies are similar to those that aren't just flat out horror movies that you're going to enjoy. Um, and and I, that I just consider like genre uh, films. The thing about that I really love about horror movies is that there's so many subgenres of horror movies. Like you can go an entire year of just watching werewolf movies um, and still yeah. have many, many more to watch. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of werewolf movies, but uh, one of my top 10 favorite horror movies of all times is Ginger Snaps, which is a werewolf movie. Oh yeah, uh, Ginger Snaps is great. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. And I think that also Ginger Snaps, it's in the werewolf subgenre, but it's also just like coming of age subgenre. Like, um, and I think that's something that um, people who aren't horror fans don't realize is how how uh, how many subgenres there are. So when someone says they're a horror fan, I always ask like, what's your favorite subgenre um, or your favorite decade of horror or, or something like that? Because for me, again, um, I really like the slow burns um, from like the 70s, right before it hit all the slashers of the 80s. Like I never really got uh, into Friday the 13th um, and, and those slasher movies. I mean, I liked Nightmare on Elm Street, um, but you know, my my core like golden decade of horror was the seventies. Um, but. Okay. I yeah. have, I have, <laughs> I have a sort of closing question. Do you think a horror film can win an Oscar best picture? What Doesn't would it take? Happen? What, what, what? I guess silence of the lambs kind of. Yeah. I was going to say silence of the lambs won. I mean, uh, but you know what I mean? That's not, that's where we get back into the whole like, okay, there are horror elements in that movie. It's a horror film. The the night vision scene is one of the scariest fucking things ever to happen in cinema. Period. It's amazing. Um, so I can I'll give you that that's a horror film. So let's go with. Can it happen again? Now that cinema has changed and become a little bit more um, fragmented, the Oscars have really kind of shifted towards only seeing dramas. And when you see Get Out in the race last year, like people are quickly shifting towards oh yeah like this is a whole there are great movies coming out of this area of film and we should give them credit but at the same time that also relies on the filmmakers trying to make movies that appeal to a wider audience with more than just the elements of horror but actually really deep storytelling elements and character driven movies and all that kind of stuff i mean i don't think i've seen one this year that i would put in the race but that doesn't mean there aren't some to come what do you think it takes for horror films to be taken as seriously as Get Out was? Maybe is it just what I just said? So I was just going to say that I think it it is about kind of re-educating people that horror movies aren't just, you know, the garbage that we get in January. Uh, that they can have a message. Um, that they can be smart. Um, that the blood and guts aspect, if there is any, is not just um, for show, that it's used in a smart way, in a way that um, that really lends to the story and, and, and um, strengthens the story. Um, and I think we're getting to a place like that. Um, but, you know, by and large, I still feel like people really um, kind of frown upon horror movies or think that it's lowbrow stuff. In the same way that, you know, movies like Hereditary and Get Out and The Witch are fantastic 
horror movies and people just do not want to admit that they're horror movies and we have to ask ourselves why is that why don't people want to admit that they like horror movies and that horror movies uh are really smart and good yes and i think that I think I think damn it, the conclusion should be on this podcast they are horror movies and you should and you are liking them if they are <laughs> but but that's but that's what we already say anyway no I, I actually think the biggest sad part of your answering your question Mike is that the more violent it is the more the academy members will just not watch it they'll just disregard it completely like it has to be um, I hate to say for them to vote, and I'm not saying this like this is what horror should be. I'm just saying if it wants to win an, an Oscar, it has to be something that's not like gory and super violent. Because I just know all the old Academy members like will just be like, no, I don't watch it. And they won't vote on it, and there's no chance in hell it will get anything. But unfortunately, that may be the case. But it doesn't mean that something like Get Out and other films in that kind of realm can slowly work their way in. And I think that's going to happen. I think, like, wouldn't wouldn't it be great if Suspiria turns out to be a brilliant film and gets a nomination next year? That could certainly happen. But like, and, you, you and know that would it, be awesome. But you know, yeah. I I mean, you know, in your heart, you feel like it can't because it's going to be too <laughs> inventive and too too off the beaten path, and the world won't rally around it the way that the horror community might. And I want to be wrong here. I'm just speaking from my gut, from what I understand of it. But like, you, when they were making Get Out or Black Swan or, you know, Sixth Sense, even like they weren't making these movies to win Oscars. They were making mm. well, maybe Black Swan, but they were making these movies. <laughs> <laughs> they were making these movies because they were kick-ass ideas. The idea what drove the movie, and and I think that's always when these are at their best. Is when it comes from a clear, um, a, a clear vision of an auteur who wants to create something they haven't seen yet and do something familiar in an unfamiliar way, and that is when I see horror succeeding at its best. I mean, Black Swan's a horror movie, right? That that movie is driven by a lot of scary shit that happens. A sort of psychological thriller um, set on some scary stuff. Yeah, I agree that it is a horror movie, and it's one of those movies that, you know, that I mentioned before that, you know, there's just a little, couple things weird here and there, and then it kind of climaxes. Um, but I think in order for a horror movie to actually, you know, win Best Picture, I think you're right. It needs to be something that's accessible to a lot of people. Um, and I think there, there would have to be some sort of huge campaign to explain that this movie isn't just to scare people. Um, because I don't think uh, Get Out was uh, was made to um, scare people in the way, you know, um, of, you know, like a boogeyman. But the concept of here are all the things that are kind of going wrong and, you know, in our world. Um, and these are things to be scared of. And I think that's why so many people were able to relate to it because we see this happening every day. Um, you know, the topics that they bring up in that movie. Um, so I think it needs to be a movie like that, where even if people are afraid to watch the movie, there are themes in the film that people would be willing to watch the movie in order to participate in that kind of conversation. I, I'm, I'm just hoping that, um, as this genre continues, they can find ways to reach outside the box of, you know, beasts and monsters and, and get back and, and, it's the psychological stuff that always really 
amazes me in how inventive it is. Like Unsane is not a horror movie probably, but you know, it it touches on things that are really scary to people. Same with It Follows. Like, I mean, those are movies that take th- that think about what scares us as human beings and and puts them in a metaphorical or or a psychological way on screen that really fucks with you the way horror movies do mess with your head but actually still is driven by story and character and the things that they how they react and what they go through so i think i think i i make to kind of come back all the way around to where we started it kind of feels like we are on an upswing in this um category but i think because they're starting to think of new ways to scare people and a lot of it comes from psychological stuff i agree and that's awesome that you want to watch more of these movies I really do. I, I just, if only I could get my wife to want to do that, too. <laughs> keep going off by myself. Having this secret relationship with horror movies is a lot of work. I mean, it, I, I, there are some horror, is it, is it more so that she's just afraid of, like, the jump scares, or does, or maybe yeah. this is, you know, really good question, is what exactly doesn't she like about horror movies that makes her feel like she can't like or watch horror movies? It's just that, that sensation of, not being in control of her own reactions, I think. I think that's what makes, you know, people who like horror so unique is that they like the feeling of being startled and taken aback and surprised and even disgusted sometimes. I don't think she shares that. I mean, she'll I wonder, <laughs> um, I wonder if she, if she would enjoy Unsane just because, I mean, I think that's a horror movie um, and... I don't know if there's really any any jump scares. I think she'll get the the sense of you know um, loss of control, and especially seeing this uh, as, uh, as a female understanding what it's like to live in a world where you know you might feel like anything, even a sm- smiling at a guy, could be miscon you know misconstrued as something else. Um, I wonder if it's movies like that could that could be a starting point for her. I. I do want to play that movie for her. I have to pick the right time. That's a good one. Yeah, that's I, a good one. I, I, while watching it, I was like, yeah, she'd like this movie. But I never actually yeah. thought about it as a horror movie until, you know, I really dissected it in our conversation here. I don't yeah, think she would, would see just, it as that either. Um, I would just be sure, you know, um, just double check that she's never had an experience with a stalker or anything remotely close to that because – I think it could be really triggering. I think insane, insane um, is hits very close to what it's like to to have a stalker and feel unsafe um, around somebody that everybody kind of kind of feels like is just totally fine and that it's all in your head. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> just be I, sure the emotional. That before. <laughs> I, I, I that's a great um, warning sign. I mean the. If I can think of one movie that I've seen in recent memory that really does actually define that word of sort of like triggering, it's that. It's very effectively done in terms of articulating emotional trauma um, in a way that doesn't feel fake or exaggerated for a movie. Like it felt very real. And maybe that's the the way he filmed it. Maybe that's um, the performance. I don't know. It's just a lot of really talented people doing something very effectively. And yet I think about movies like Slender Man, where I was reading articles day after day about girls like killing themselves because they heard a story about a fake character. And it just still boggles my mind. So I'm very curious to see how that movie gets taken by people. Yeah. I still think the scariest movie ever made was Arachnophobia, but that's my thing. 
<laughs> Are you afraid yeah. of spiders? Oh, I, I hate spiders. I'm not necessarily afraid of them, but every time I watch that movie, I want to burn my place down. So. <laughs> and, and yet they're remaking it. Oh, God, please. I, I'm, uh, I'm afraid of the remake already. <laughs> Sorry I had to jump out for a little bit, but it seems like we covered a lot. I was going to say to any of the listeners, if you have any cool thoughts on something or if there's any horror film you've loved and want to recommend, just shoot us an email or tweet us or send us a passenger pigeon or whatever carrier pigeon if they're called get somehow get a message to us because i would love to hear if there's something that you guys have really enjoyed and so on but um yeah i don't know i think that's best for us to wrap up now i think this is a really great discussion i feel like we could go on and on and on because i want to talk more about horror but um for now i think we should wrap up so um thank you for joining us annette that was awesome i'm glad to have you on and um for all the listeners, where can they find you? You're on Twitter mostly, right? Yeah, I'm on like on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. It's U H N E T for Annette. Uh, and if you happen to be in LA and you love horror movies, follow HorrorCal underscore LA. Um, I just post about all of the um, horror movie screenings um, and horror events around town. Um, so you don't have to go to all the different websites. You can just go to my website or follow me on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun.